studio by RTHK's very own prize fighter, uh, Steve Vine. Steve, good how's, morning. How's life been a while oh, since life. we yes, last spoke? Yes, yes, it seems to be going on. And I'll tell you what, I've had a, I've had a rough week. Oh, I, don't get, yeah. I don't get no respect. I don't get no respect. <laughs> no, I've had, a, I've had a rough week. Was in a, a bit of a car prong, prang. Oh, were you? Yes. Pratt is that is that what I'm saying? One of those. Yes. Uh, in the yes. and then and today my my throat's killing me. Uh, I'm coming under. I'm a little bit under the weather. And and of course uh, Metro Radio under under siege from cooking starch well, were you, in envelopes. Were you, were you expecting sympathy because you've so come to the wrong place? <laughs> I believe so. I think I've got you on the wrong microphone. Number one. <laughs> Uh, so we'll ignore that catty comment. We'll ignore that because it was off mic. Oh, good, fantastic. Uh, I just feel, I just feel yes. like us, us radio jocks, yes. threatened by potential anthrax attacks. Oh yes, as Metro Radio was. Or that happened to be cornstarch. It look. I know. Who can tell? They all taste the same, don't yeah. they? Yeah. And white powders abound at radio stations. I, I want to say, I'm in a very... I'm looking at the ceiling here, but yes, go on. I'm very, very... Fra- that's asbestos, don't worry. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, that's um, all right. I'm in yes. a very fragile spot, so I hope you have some good news uh, about the local Hong Kong scene to sort of pep me up a little bit. Well, well, can I say to the listener, the answer to that question is no. Ah, no. Okay. No, we are we are not at the time of day where good news is delivered, or the place for good news to be delivered. Just You're- up to ten on Thursdays, <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes, right. yes. But, but we, are, we are in a place where... Um, uh, where it seems members of um, Hong Kong's finest, as they used to be known... And that uh, wasn't the word you used when we were off it. No, no, it wasn't. There is a, a, a colloquial expression in London, which uh, um, actually uh, I'm more familiar with. They're known as the filth. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, apparently here they're not. They're, no. they're, they're the finest. And, and incidentally, I mean, one thing that people keep overlooking about the Hong Kong police force is per capita... Hong Kong is one of the most heavily policed places on the planet. There is practically nowhere on earth that has, you know, X number of policemen to X number of of, um, citizens. Of normal people. Yeah, normal people. But um, what's worrying about that is nothing, because Hong Kong has a low crime weight. That's that's fine. I I think we're all happy about that. But what is really worrying is is the daily increasing politicisation of the police force. The fact that you have police officers now actively making political statements, spending enormous resources on 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 chasing after uh, this this tiny little group of people known as the Hong Kong, um, uh, I forgot what they call the Hong Kong National Party. Yes, uh, um, you know which which possibly contains as many as two dozen people. Steve, it's good you've forgotten what they're called because that's the idea. They want people. Oh uh, uh, well, what I, I don't know. I think they like to have a threat because they need to just. You see, the point is that what they're trying to do is is attack the opposition at its weakest link. And these people, in my view, very clearly are the weakest link. So, you know, if you if you can say that, and, you know, you can create an 86-page dossier and say that they were doing terrible things like giving out leaflets, trying to stand for election, and on occasion, and I don't know if you'd actually believe this, speaking at seminars. Ah, but a uh, seminar in a in a country that well, we'll get to that later. A country, but a country you exist. really shouldn't be speaking at. Well, there is that. Here's there the is thing, uh, you know, drug dealers, 
uh, weapons dealers, arms dealers, you know, violent criminals. That's sort of hard work. Whereas a mild mannered politician is much easier to. Uh, or, or, to sort I of mean, these are young kids. You know, I'm sorry, shop. sorry to be what's it? You know, factual. They're not. Uh, uh, they're not exactly the, the most formidable of um, targets. But anyway, you have this 86-page dossier, um, and apparently they 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 to compile it. Um, all that they found was, oh, lawful activity. I mean, I don't know if, if, if any of these policemen have read uh, Article 27 of the Basic Law, but Article 27 of the Basic Law guarantees freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of trade unions, etc. Now, if these people are engaged in violent activity, if they're planning subversive activity, if they're planning violent activity... I think after all this surveillance, they probably would have found evidence and of it. You mentioned the surveillance. I think the the term was every single word he had said in in Taiwan was recorded. Well, in fact, there's apparently, and I'm sure someone's getting paid. Uh, overtime uh, apparently, for that. they studied 51 speeches by members of this august organisation, and good luck with that. Mate. Yeah, I don't know who was paid overtime to do that, but uh, if he's still awake. Um, but, I mean, you know, in, in a sense it's farcical, but, of course, in a sense it's worrying. The simple fact of the matter is that if the government doesn't like the propagation of um, ideas about uh, Hong Kong's autonomy, which incidentally is also in the basic law, or Hong Kong's separation from the mainland, they should engage in a political debate. Because as long as they're just ideas and they're, they're views that are advanced... If they feel they've got a better argument and they claim they do have a better argument, why don't we hear it? All we hear is, we must suppress these people. Carrie Lam, before scuttling off to uh, Beijing yesterday, you know, made a great point of standing up and going, oh, these people must be suppressed. Well, actually, they mustn't. And what will result in this is, you know, once once this has been done, we'll see, oh, other people, well, you know, they may also be harbouring those views. They don't say it, but... This, they don't pass the smell test. I think this that might be a slippery slope. You slippery might say. slope. Yes. Oh, um, I want to ask. I other, mean, other cliches are available. I have to say, <laughs> love a good cliche. Yeah. Usually, I avoid them like the plague. But um, <laughs> I want to say, sure. You know, Article Twenty Seven yeah. guarantees free speech, freedom of association. It's quite unambiguous. But what enough. if they're doing something really quite evil? I mean, and I want to say this, what if they're, they're trying to go against the best interests of the nation, against the best interests of China? Uh, shouldn't we clamp down? What, we're going to allow Nazi parties now? We're going to allow uh, people that want to teach uh, LGBT books in our schools or something? Is this, what is it going to come to? Oh, it's, it's a slippery yeah. slope the other yeah, way. It's a strange combination of say, examples you've given there, but... Well, they're both, you know, it's both perhaps the lesser of two evils, but they're saying they're still evil, apparently. <laughs> apparently, yeah. well, I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I mean, the, the 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 right to freedom of speech is not the right to have freedom to say things that you agree with. I mean, I find any person uh, advocating racist ideas abhorrent, and I understand why there are laws against that. And the reason for that is that they are disparaging individuals in society who are different from other individuals in society. So I get that. I think, you know, there is no absolute right to freedom of speech. But if you have a political idea which goes against the prevailing political norm, that's a different level of, um, 
how do you put it? Um, I need words for this. That's a different level of seriousness and a different matter altogether. So, I mean, you know, they, they, Carrie Lamb says there is a red line. Uh, Stephen Lowe, who's the commissioner of police, says there's a red line. But actually, is there is there a red line on political expression? I, I'm rather dubious sort of about that. Blurs into a magenta and then a, a light pink line. Yeah, it's down. kind of it's kind of gone into a murky brown line. Mind you, I'm quite impressed by Stephen Lowe. He he went to the Hong Kong Book Fair to talk to an audience of young people. Get this. He went and to tell them, to advise them on, on books, inspiring books that he'd read, and he thought that they might like to take a glance at. Top of his list, and I hope you've got your pencils and papers ready as I, I read this out. Top of his list was crisis communication, practical PR strategies for reputation management and company survival. That's by Peter Franz. Um, and Toninson, in case you were going to rush out and buy that. I was, because... I, That's look, interesting. <laughs> when I was in year nine, I really could have used some practical PR advice and yes. uh, non-combative whatever he just said. But of course, yes, well, uh, um, 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 yeah, it's a, a reputation management. You probably need that. So he could have just said Chronicles of Narnia or something. He but could he have, but no, no, he bravely, he bravely stuck his neck out for a book about PR. Good to know. And then, I mean, because, of course, you know, Stephen Lowe, Commissioner of Police, is, isn't really interested in, in political stuff. He said, oh, but, 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 by the way, by the way, by the way, there's also a book I really like. I read, oh, actually, I really love this book. It's called I Speak for China, Selected Speeches of Fu Ying, who was a f- former Deputy Foreign Minister of the PRC. Now, that was a brave choice. That shows how courageous he is to have chosen that book as well. I'm surprised that book isn't banned. Um, it's quite, um, quite a daring choice. Have you read it? No, I haven't. It hasn't, hasn't oh, popped up Sorry, I'm my, just writing that down. Has Kindle. not read <laughs> I Speak for China. Right. So, we won't be seeing you here tomorrow. <laughs> we certainly won't. Steve, I know this might be a little bit meta. It could be. Because, because we're talking about a book about PR. But do yes. you think this was perhaps coached or managed? I think it's, there's actually a sad explanation. That actually is his favourite book. And that's his best recommendation to <laughs> That's the best he could do to young, young people. people, yes. I, I, I gather that the audience, and I'm slightly making this up because I frankly wasn't there, strangely, not being young, not having been at the Hong Kong Book Fair, but etc. But I, I, I imagine that they probably sat there thinking, bloody, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> F word you used a little they, bit they might have that might have um, come up in 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 thinking as that was going on. Okay, it okay. was odd. We're going to tick it, that off. Yes. Uh, if you have any suggestions, by the way, if anyone wants to reach you, and I know you love it when people uh, come on and disagree with you, come on the show, yeah. um, please. We, we do take their names. Right, write us an email <laughs> at morningbrew at rthk.hk or uh, the Morning Brew on RTHK Radio Three, which I have found myself given access to both of those accounts. Really. Uh, no. So I will vandalise. Has that them, made your day after your segment? That has made your day. Has hasn't a little. It? <laughs> has a little bit. But while we're on books, because let's not get away from books. I mean, books. You know, apparently they're all over the place. Apparently, uh, people still read them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm guilty, but hey, I'm not going to mm-hmm. repeat that too often. But it's interesting. Our great friends at the Obscene Articles um, Tribunal 
who who are always good for a good for a giggle, <laughs> <laughs> um, have have suddenly found out that one of Japan's most prominent writers, Harikuri um, um, Murakami. Murakami, has 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 written a book and it contains sex. Which, Gosh. Uh, so it's got if you if it's if if this latest book of his is going to be sold in Hong Kong, it has to come wrapped in a sealed shrink wrapped shrink wrapped or possibly just just your actual cellophane will do. I don't know. We need to find that out. That's Murakami books and uh, prophylactics. They're the two yeah. things that need to be shrink wrapped apparently in Hong Kong. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't know if you've read his his books. I've read a couple. Uh, sex scenes are about as common as prepositions in yes. his books, yes. and you know weird motifs about wells and cats. Uh, the thing is, though, his previous books haven't haven't had this I mean, treatment. This is this is what's so bizarre about these. Is it people. just what is it? I mean, who? I, 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 we sort of know who they are. They're, they're, they're well, not. Well, please enlighten us. I mean, I don't know much about the obscene it's a, it, tribunal. It, it, obscene articles tribunal. I mean, the. A few of you, the articles you've written, I assume, are in there. <laughs> I, I wish. I mean, one, one of the things you know is that, that as soon as a book is, is condemned, I mean, you know, there was a fam- very, very famous case in, in, in Britain. Uh, this is years and years ago, over D.H. Lawrence Lady's Chatterley's Lover, which is probably the worst of his books. But, you know, as soon as it was banned and as soon as the ban was overturned, boy, did that book sell like hotcakes more than any of the other of far better books by D.H. Lawrence. But, I mean, you know, I I imagine that any author would, would, would sit in in his um, or her um, cavern, you know, typing away, thinking, oh, please ban my book, please. It's the only way I can ever, ever get it to shift off the shelves. And I'll tell you what, I've been trying to get the Morning Brew banned for, for many a year. No and luck, no no, luck so I know. It's the, but uh, this tri- I've seen articles. I've tribunal. seen the so OAT. It, so, it, of course, it, it, it contains the usual motley, motley crew of, of pen-pushing bureaucrats. I wonder, it, well, is it not supposed to be community stakeholders no, 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 or no, something? No, Indeed, they have writers on it. Do they? They're so famous that nobody's heard of them. Of course. But, um, you know, they have well-deserved obscurity. Uh, there are, and they, I and assume got... they have some Luddites from the 1600s that are, oh, that are some puritanical people. That I, I hope so. I hope they have people... Pulled through a time vortex. Who, ...who believe in decency. They have academics. Mm-hmm. Mm, that, that gives it a bit of gravity that you wouldn't be expecting. So what's the big picture here? What are they going for? The big for? picture is I have no idea. Why I mean, why, why, you know, I mean, obviously there is such a thing as obscene material and, you know, it, 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 it's like, what does a whale look like? You sure know when you get close to it. And it's the same with obscenity. But, but at the, you know, in literature, I mean, why they haven't banned Shakespeare is completely beyond me. Here's the thing. He, I mean, he, can, a, he a, can be a bit risque, you there's know. There's a character called Bottom, for Christ's sakes. Um, oh, I want to say. That's, that's the best of it. Do you not think the idea... Cod pieces. <laughs> I'm just, just throwing it out there. <laughs> do you not think the idea of an obscene articles tribunal is in itself a little I, bit outdated? I know. I, I mean, mean it's... you in your pocket and in my pocket, I have a, a mobile phone yeah. and I have access to things many, many more times graphic. And trust me, every kid has one of those as ain't, well. Ain't that a fact? Do you not think that perhaps just getting them to read a book is a step in the right direction? Well, can, can I just say, in parentheses, I have no Please. idea what you're talking about. But if I had... If you had, if I had access to Google... Yeah, or one of those bizarre things, isn't that a point? I mean, you know, the access to vivid and quite <laughs> lurid 
sexual activity, which anybody can access through their through whatever it is, their yeah, outlet of choice. Things, outlet mm. of choice. We, no brands are going to be mentioned on this program. Um, is available. The written word. It's interesting. Apparently, you can even read books on the interweb. That's what people have told me. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's true. But anyway, but but their obsession is with stuff that you just think. Why would you pick a really prominent Asian writer who's quite revered, actually? Yeah, pretty famous. He's, he's yeah. a bit controversial. Gosh, the idea of a writer being controversial. Ooh, how did that come about? <laughs> but anyway, so, so the idea that they would actually sit down and you know solemnly pronounce that Murakami, very bad, very bad. I mean, you know... Yes. Anyway, I mean, Mr. Murakami, who probably doesn't even know of the existence of the Hong Kong Obscene Articles Tribunal, or know that his books are, well, he will know that his books when are When he sees a 200% uh, it, Yeah, but when he sales. sees a spike in sales, yeah. he'll probably say, could you please consider, I've got another stack of books here I'd like you to have please a look at. Them. And you can shrink wrap them, you can put them in cellophane, you can put them under plain cover, it don't he matter. He would it, love that. Yeah. It, will, it will make them sell. So, I mean, first of all, it's self-defeating. Second of all, it makes Hong Kong look stupid. And third of all, who are these non-entities? I mean, you know, come out and defend yourselves, boys and girls. I'd like to hear from you. I would love to see a statement on that, on what exactly was so titillating about which pages in particular. Yes. And those are the so pages we could go I would directly to the to read. Yes. Uh, I, I remember with, I mean, you know, because even I was young once, I remember the, when the Lady Chatterley's Lover um, thing came came about. All us mucky school kids were were were... <laughs> We're completely perplexed because the book is basically a bit boring. And he goes, but what page is the smutty bits on? So we were all desperately looking through and to find the smutty bits. Are there pictures? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you know, I can't tell you how disappointed we were. There was not a single picture in that book. I'll tell you what, uh, it's like when I was a, a young lad and uh, Cole Porter was the big artist at the time oh, yes. uh, when I was in school and he said he had a song called Anything Goes. And i tell you what, it's as true <laughs> when I was in school as it is today. <laughs> Uh, do you want to go to a song very quickly? Oh, yes. Is that okay? As long as I don't have to sing it, Well, yes. we have one of those news breaks, you know, and uh-huh. I know usually I get all my news source from you, Steve, but apparently we uh, we actually do hire a, a team upstairs for that as well. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of voices, I don't know where I was going with that, the voice of Hong Kong, Steve Vines, joining us in the studio. <laughs> Morning, yeah. bro. Self-proclaimed. Yeah. So, so not. <laughs> uh, and I was saying the problem with these summer months, these blustery summer months, uh, besides the, that, you know, frequent summer loving, is that everyone else goes away on holiday when we're when we're stuck in Hong Kong. They go to exciting places like Japan, where they recently had have the death penalty. Apparently, we just yes, found out. Yes. Or, Who knew? Or you know, Vietnam or Thailand or. There's an island, and an I, island. I can't... Oh, it's it's, yeah. it's like an hour away. Yeah, There's a big yeah. 101 building in there. Yeah, the, there's the a 101 city. building. It's... Um, it's part of China. There, um, there's, a, there's a place next to it called the Taiwan Strait. Ah, right. What does that mean? Uh, Don't know. Um, anyway. So it's confusing. If um, I wanted to take a flight there... You'd have to. You'd have to have a little think. So here we go. So you, you, you had the... Um, in fact, today is the deadline, I believe. Today is the deadline issued by presumably the Foreign Ministry or is it the Civil Aviation Authority? Or one of those wonderful bodies up in Beijing has wagged its finger at all the world's airlines and say, by today, 
if you have on your website something saying Taiwan, you're dust. So this was originally greeted in the White House. With titters? With, well, they, the, 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 all right, I've got to say it. The Trump White House described this as an Orwellian directive. But I noticed that all the, uh, Aust- uh, sorry, Australian, all the American airlines, I think with the exception of Delta, for, for reasons I don't quite understand, have said, oh, this is really ridiculous. Uh, what change is it you want us to make? <laughs> so now you have to put, if you have a plane flying to, um, say, just for the sake of argument, Taipei, you have to put Chinese Taiwan Taipei and then the name of the airport, which, needless to say, I can't remember. So that's a four-word description of one thing. And congratulations to it. But, I mean, what sort of insecurity is felt in Beijing that they have to go around bullying airlines to change their... Um, destination indicators you know i i mean the planes are still going to go there that's that's one literally nothing will change besides a little thing on the drop down menu well it would be rather bigger thing on the drop down menu than before because it's got more words slightly longer Uh, so obviously the counter argument for these airlines is look we're all about democracy and all that but uh, there's about 100 million Chinese people that like going on holidays, yeah. and we like providing aeroplanes for that. And, and by the way, there's a bit of money to be made here, so we'll, we'll do what we're told. I mean, I am, look, the bully usually gets away with it because, you know, you get... A, Welcome to planet Earth. Yeah, yeah. where well, you, you get a black eye if you don't, don't um, ad- adhere to his or her wishes. But the fact of the matter is, what effort and, and, and messing around has gone into this thing? I mean, if they have a problem, which of course they do with Taiwan, and want to give it such a degree of isolation in the world that um, it makes somebody in Beijing feel good, well, well, good luck to them. But, you know, I think grown-ups don't worry about names, you know, sticks and stones and all that business. You, You would think. You would think. When I'm booking a holiday, I don't say I'm going to Chinese Taipei. I'm, <laughs> don't I'm, you? I'm, I know that might be sacrilegious, yeah, but it's, it it's a, a bit of a mouthful, yeah. and I'm not one for those. Here's the thing. Um, is this a portent of things to come? Well, we got them to change that airline business. How about we change some other things? How well, about that? I think... How I about think all, this... the, all those people that are printing maps in the US? <laughs> uh, how about we get them to change yeah, their Yeah, I think that's rather important. I mean, obviously, what, what, what has happened is there's been a much bigger push from Beijing, we've seen it on the diplomatic front, where all countries you've never heard of have decided that they're no longer going to recognise the government in the ROC, the Republic of China, as opposed to the PRC, the People's Republic of China. So you've got little statelets in the Caribbean, and I don't want to be disparaging, but they are small. (laughs) They do not contain a lot of people who who sort of clung on to their recognition of the ROC. Apologies to anyone living in Aruba or, yeah. or the Bahamas. Yeah, well, um, you know, I'm not trying to be rude, but or sizes, but they are small. Right. I mean, these are factual facts. Mm-hmm. I don't think there is any um, nation of any size that is still recognising uh, the ROC. I mean, the Vatican is still still has an ambassador in 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 Taipei, which is in Chinese Taiwan. But um, other than that, I and the Vatican, you could argue, is a 
pretty important sort of institution. But other than that, I can't. That that almost certainly is likely to change. I mean, the pressure on the Catholic Church and negotiations that are going on between the Vatican and the Chinese authorities apparently are reaching fever point. So here's the thing: what is the reaction going to be? I mean, obviously Taiwan probably not happy about it, probably a bit miffed. But it's because it's such a, a small thing, a big fuss over a comma. You 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 would think here's yeah, the thing: exactly, it's it's a slow death by a thousand cuts, yeah. war of attrition. In another twenty years, it'll have whistled you still, away. You still have to ask yourself: is there a, is there a breaking point? Is there something? I, well, the breaking point, I mean, can be of course military action, which I think even the most lunatic planner in Beijing would would have a little pause before taking uh, an interest in doing that. But I mean, you know, the facts of the matter, the objective facts of the matter are that the PRC does not govern the island of Taiwan. That's a factual fact. They have their own army. They have everything that a normal state does. But they are extremely politically isolated. What does what does this matter in the great order of things? A bit, I would say. You know, I mean, Taiwan, for example, has problems joining international organisations, which, you know, th- those things can be a problem. But does it make it any less of a... Uh, an independent entity I don't think so and of course what it really does and this is the bottom line is it makes people in Taiwan who are in favour of reunification with the mainland it pushes them increasingly into a marginal minority you know there was uh, for years I mean Taiwan was ruled by the Kuomintang and may well be ruled by them again because they have this funny thing called democracy where governments change during elections don't ask me how that works I've got no idea it boggles the mind it boggles the mind apparently it's quite common but anyway they have it in Taiwan so you know the Kuomintang who are formally in favour of re- reunification may well come back into power again but the actual business of reunifying Taiwan with the mainland I think goes further and further away every time you have this sort of fit of peak from Beijing. Because is it because it's sort of like a immature jab that And I think people in in Taiwan just feel offended by it and they think, you know, do we really want to be you're associated tre- You're treating me like I'm your boyfriend or girlfriend before you've even bought me a drink. <laughs> you've just added a comma to our names. <laughs> It is something like that. I mean, it's it's quite interesting. You've got this poll in Hong Kong just just come out. In fact, yesterday, we like to be topical here. Did you? Were you part of the poll? Were you polled? I wasn't polled. I, wasn't I, I polled. take that quite personally. The Hong Kong University polling people didn't get to me, but they did get to five hundred or so other people. And what they found on that poll is really, I mean, you you would think would be devastating, despite all this bluster. Despite all this, you know, Stephen Lowe having as one of his favourite books, I Speak for China, etc., etc., despite all of that... Rip-roaring read, real page-turner. It, it, hey, it's collected speeches. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's the sort of thing that people pay good money for. Anyway, that's a... a, a, a we've talked about we've that. We've talked about that, exactly. But, um, but this, despite all of that, the only country that comes lower in popularity... <laughs> among Hong Kong people is... And, and the only government, incidentally, which comes lower in popularity than that of the one in Beijing is, um, oh, America. <laughs> I thought you were going to say their own. <laughs> no, not that well, <laughs> Hong Kong government, bless them, they, they don't really... People don't get that excited about it. But no, so the, the, the least popular government uh, is America. And they ask to... It's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it, I don't know how much 
you, you want to weigh onto these uh, opinion polls. But anyway, they, they asked two questions. One is popularity of the government or, or views of perceptions of the government mm-hmm. and perceptions of the people. So the perception of American people is much, much higher than it is of the of the American government, which is in negative territory. But in it, <laughs> this is very unfortunate, and so of course I won't say it except for I will. When you look at the comparison between the popularity of the government in Beijing and the mainlanders, mainland people, um, ooh, they're both sort of pretty low, <laughs> which is a bit of a kick in the very tender parts. I can and, imagine. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, the the most... It's really interesting. The most popular among Hong Kongers, the most popular government is the Singapore government. Ugh, can you imagine? Yeah, I know. That, that's a bit of a worry. And I suppose the the thing about that is that that is a government which, despite uh, many, many grounds for criticism, it does sort of get things done. We only have 15 minutes. I don't think you could cover it all. No, we're not going through the whole gamut of it. But, but I mean, I think one of the things that does greatly influence people in Hong Kong is the way that the, Sing- government, the Singapore government provides housing. Ah. And you look at... I've been in these um, uh, public housing in Singapore. Even some of the old public housing... You know, you compare that with what you have in Hong Kong and you understand why there's, people there's say... Space? There's, <coughs> there's, there's space, there's trees. There's no you, lead you, you in know the water? Trees? <laughs> Leadless water, can you yeah. imagine? No, no, I mean, the, you, you know, the, the, there's many terrible things that Singapore does and, and you know, go mm. elsewhere for the list. Wag the finger. Yeah, yeah. wag the finger. But, but uh, the thing which, of course, is top of Hong Kong people's interest is housing. Rightly so, because so many people in Hong Kong live in appalling housing conditions. So many people. I mean, the majority of people in Hong Kong do not live in a decent, <coughs> spaced apartment of any kind. And in, in Singapore, it's different. And I think people look at that and they go, oh, God, the government there at least does something for the people. Um, that's all. Go- they, that's all. That's, sometimes that's all it, that matters. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm extrapolating that that that. that isn't stated in this survey but i think if you talk to people one of the first things they say about singapore is oh, oh yeah lovely houses though, don't they? <laughs> no, that's what people say to you you know you, you even if you're not rich you can live in a decent place steve sure we don't have houses but who needs those when we have a brand new spackers airport that's one of the best in the world apparently not big enough apparently not, also not big not enough big apparently enough, no. but no. uh new documents have come to light apparently that shed light on on this whole debacle of the the run-up to it and the funding of it yeah so so remember the decision to build the airport was taken after the joint declaration was signed in 89 1989 they would have timed that better yeah well uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm, 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 I've given the wrong date. 1984. It was signed in 1984, the Joint Declaration. So uh, there were then all sorts of working parties between the Brits and the incoming Chinese administration to try and hash it out, and get the details, and who's yeah. paying for what, and who gets to wear the socks. So they they come to round about 1992 <clears throat> when the negotiations started over. A building a new airport to replace Chet Lapcock. And the Chinese, apparently, this is according to documents that have just been released under, under Britain's... Um, uh, Britain has a rolling release of confidential documents programme. Under that, um, we see from these documents that at the time, Chris Patton, who was the governor, 
<coughs> was proposing to to include the leader of the Democratic Party, as was Martin Lee, in his executive council. And apparently the Chinese said, well, if you do that, you ain't getting no airport. May I May I quote? And it's it's sort of difficult to read because uh, for some reason they didn't use Microsoft Word in 1992. Uh, it's who knew? written on some sort of writer. Typewriter. Type, it's some sort of type. Uh, don't know how they did it back then. Let's see. It is clear that their minimum price is a decision by the former not to appoint United Democrat politicians to Exco. It's less clear whether they hope to secure satisfaction as well on arrangements for the 1995 election, but that can't be ruled out. So their minimum price was was we don't want no Democrats. The, in these guys Exco. aren't. Uh, I mean, the, the, this was the time, of course, in which China did have one of its own people appointed to Exco, a fellow called Tung Chi Wa. Who, who was uh, a name that came out of the mysterious rings process. Yeah, it rings a bell. And they said, uh, here's a man we think you ought to have in your ex-co. And Pat <laughs> said, well, I don't know about that. Yes. <laughs> seems like an all right bloke. Likes having he a, seems all right. Likes He's, having a point he, in the pub. He, yeah. he, only, he, only he only wrecked one shipping company. How, how bad could that be? Uh, so what do you make of this, of Martin Lee sort of being... Not so, not so clearly, but pretty clearly banned or barred from. Being well, I mean, I, I mean, it tells you a number of things. One is um, that um, the level of uh, pre nineteen ninety seven minute involvement in Hong Kong's internal politics by Beijing was clearly considerable mm. and powerful, and they got their way. That's number one. Number two, I mean, it is quite interesting that Martin Lee who obviously was closer to the regime of of Chris Patton than to former colonial governors, was considering, because it wouldn't have got to this stage if he'd you know, said, I, I, I don't want to be part of this, mm. was considering joining Exco. I mean, I think it would have been a very bad mistake for him. And because, why is that? Because, essentially... <clears throat> the Democrats were riding very, very high. In this document, they're referred to as the United Democrats, the former name of the um, Democratic Party, were riding extremely high in terms of public popularity. And remember, this is the period after the 1989 massacre. So, so the Democrats were riding even higher. Anybody who was, you know, seen as being opposed to that was was going to be popular. Joining the establishment, joining the government, I think would have been an enormous mistake, in the same way as it was a mistake for the Democrats to have um, made the arrangement with um, uh, with Donald Jung when he was chief executive over electoral reforms, essentially putting another two seats in the um, electoral in, in the elected part of Legco. I mean. People saw this as an enormous betrayal, and I think they would have seen that even back then in, in 92 or 94, whenever it may have happened. So, <clears throat> I mean, it's quite interesting that that that, um, that was being contemplated. I'm not that surprised that China um, responded in that virulent way that they did. I mean, threatening to stop all talks on the airport is a pretty big threat. It's It's not an insubstantial thing. And I was going to say, there's, there's something else very interesting in these release documents, which which doesn't 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 concern China at all, but it does concern the Brits. How bizarre! <laughs> I know. So apparently, during this period, Britain was putting intense pressure on Portugal 
to stop issuing passports to Macanese pe- people from Macau. I know Macanese also denotes a sort of biracial thing. But anyway, the people from Macau, Macau residents, were all offered, without um, exception, a, a, a Portuguese passport ahead of the 1999 uh, resumption of sovereignty by China over Macau. And the Brits said, oh, if you do that, oh, my God, oh, 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 oh. They're going to want one too. They're going to want one in Hong Kong. And the Portuguese, to be fair, said to them, something and off. You know, we have our policies. And and the Portuguese, (coughs) which ran very brutal in their time, very brutal um, colonial regimes, particularly in Africa, but not so much in Brazil, um, did have a policy of incorporating their people as citizens if they wanted to be so, of the mother country. Incidentally, Britain had that policy up to the 1970s as well, something conveniently glossed over. Not that many people in Hong Kong took it up because they didn't see the need to. Well, why would we need to? <laughs> well, in the 1970s, but, you know, there was, there was um, particularly in the 1960s, there was quite significant immigration to Britain from the New Territories in particular because of, poverty more than uh, any political More than they thing. liked the seaside in Brighton or yeah, something. Yeah, you know, I mean the, the allure of Birmingham, I know it's it's considerable, but... but <laughs> Ian's upstairs, he is from Birmingham, watch your, watch oh, what you're saying. It's a lovely place <laughs> for those who haven't been there. Oh, so I want to say, one point you made earlier is even, we're talking 1992? Yes, this, yes. Even then, when still five more years of, of British rule in Hong Kong. Colonial oppression is the word you're looking for. <laughs> yes. Even then, mm. China was having impacts, playing playing them against each other. It was, was trying to influence Hong Kong. I can't imagine that people still believe that if this was going on in 1992, that they're all of a sudden they're completely hands-off from Hong Kong well, in 2018. Exactly. I mean, it's hard to believe they have all the control they want, and they've decided, no, we'll, we'll let you guys do your own well, thing. Well, I mean, what would be fantastic and will not happen, well, it won't happen this week, is remember <laughs> that the Communist Party, of course, are copious keepers of documents. I would love to see the, the, the documents that come from their side during this period, and you can bet your bottom dollar they do exist. Well, in 2044, perhaps, when they release them? Well, let's see what happens. But the interesting thing is if you read um, any of these absolutely amazingly good books by Frank Decotter, uh, he, the, the, he did a classic book on, on, on the Great Famine, on the Cultural Revolution. His sources of information came from provincial archives where all of this documentation exists. I mean, the effects of... a filing cabinet out the back. Exact effects of the famine. I mean, you know, the real effects of the famine, not not what was stated in the People's Daily, etc. And and the, the interesting thing about that is, <clears throat> like all dictatorships, they are compulsive, compulsive recorders of everything. And I think he managed to get access to these archives simply because nobody else had bothered before. You know, they didn't shut them up because they didn't assume anybody would ever want to look at them. So some foreign academic wanders in and says, do you mind if I have a look at 1966 records? They go, oh, yeah, they're, they're over there. Blow off the dust if you can... Uh... Steve, how about you and I, we take a road trip up to Tianjin, yeah. we'll film the whole thing, and we'll go digging through some old records. Uh, archives are us. I can't think of a better way of spending a weekend. Sort of like an antiques roadshow. Yes, as it were. yes, but, but without the... Uh, Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That, <laughs> that, that, that comes that, that, that from antiques, was, roadshow. Yes. 
sounds good, mate. Uh, anything else? Anything? Anything of note to say before we sign off? Oh, anything of note to say? Um, 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 Besides um, that, the other the past forty minutes of uh, whatever uh, you um, um, Okay, it's quite hot outside. Steve, it's always a pleasure, never a pain. We'll see you again next week. It'll be a Phil Whelan sitting in this chair, I believe. Could be. Could be. Here's Beck, up all night.